So last week we were in Luke chapter 4. We talked about Jesus overcoming temptation. And uh, it was just a powerful sermon about, about temptation. We learned from the Word of God how the enemy works against us. And we learned from the Word of God how we overcome him. And uh, it was just a, I just encourage you, if you did not watch that sermon or listen to that sermon, that you would go online and you would uh, listen to it because there was some teaching there that is powerful and is going to help you in your life. And so Jesus, after this, uh, he's affirmed by the Father, he gets baptized, then he gets thrown into the wilderness and tested. And after that testing, he starts in his ministry. And the first moment of his ministry, he's sitting, uh, he goes into his uh, synagogue, and they see him, and they ask him if he wants to speak. So he takes the scroll of Isaiah, because they didn't have books, they had scrolls. He unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, so I'm in chapter 4 still. He unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads these words, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then the Bible says this. This is so fascinating. All the eyes of the people on the synagogue were fastened upon him. He then went and sat down and said these words. Today, in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. Now, for us, we're reading that. We're like, well, okay, that's interesting. But for a Jew who their whole life was waiting for the coming of the kingdom of God, waiting for the moment when God would dwell among his people. What Jesus was saying was either he was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. And so he declares that, and then the people are looking at him, and he begins kind of from that point, he begins his ministry. And they celebrate him because of his gracious and life-giving words. But in the very next couple sentences, what happens is they try to throw him off a cliff. Because the Jews who thought that, that uh, the Messiah was coming just for them, Jesus begins to open up the story and says, oh, no, 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 God is way more concerned than just for one nation. He's going to save a whole world. And uh, they're not happy about that, but anyway, he carries on, and it's kind of a miraculous story. They take him to a cliff to throw him off, and he just walks right through the crowd. I mean, talk about authority, right? And then he starts healing the sick, and then he starts casting out demons, and then he starts doing the miraculous, the signs of the kingdom of God, the very things that he's just preached, okay? He literally starts to demonstrate what the favor of God looks like coming into the world. Now, people are very excited by this, and uh, they're very thankful for this. And so this is what they do, because it's what we would do as well. The people were looking for him, and when they came where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. But he said, he must, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because this is why I was sent. See, if Jesus showed up and started to do those things in your midst, in our midst, we would be saying, Jesus, let me build you a house. 
You need to hang out here with us more. This is amazing. This is awesome. This is incredible. What the kingdom of God means, what the favor of God means coming upon mankind, what the year of Jubilee, the year of God's favor, the year of God setting captives free, the year of deliverance, what all of this looks like for people is beginning to unfold and happen. And so, of course, they're, they're jealous. They want to keep Jesus for themselves, a little bit selfish too. And, uh, but what Jesus does next is kind of amazing and interesting. Because even though the kingdom of God is manifesting through him, he starts to build what we'll call a dream team. He starts to pick people to join him in the mission of God, which is to set captives free, which is to bring deliverance to the poor and hope for the poor, which is to bring the life of God, the grace of God, the favor of God to rest upon a people. And really that people is you and I and the entire world. And what does that look like? That's what we're going to find out when we turn to Luke chapter 5 and start to see the team that Jesus is assembling. So in Luke chapter 5, It's the worst story of a fisherman you can ever imagine in your life. It starts off, uh, this fisherman comes back, and his name's Peter, and it's the worst moment because he's been fishing all night. He's a professional fisherman. He He didn't catch any fish, and he arrives on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there's these people gathered and a preacher gathered, and it's the worst moment for a fisherman because everybody wonders when a fisherman comes in, what did you catch? He caught nothing. And so they have to wash their nets because the Sea of Galilee is salt water. And so they're washing the salt water out with fresh water so the nets don't get brittle and break. And they're having to listen to this preacher and this crowd of people. And we don't know what he said, but uh, I know this. Jesus often practices what he preaches. He'll preach it and then demonstrate it. We're not sure what he said. But then he says to Peter, can I climb in your boat? Peter says, sure. He has to listen to the sermon. Now he has a captive audience. Uh, And then Jesus says to Peter, pull out from the shore a little bit deeper and let down your nets. And Peter's like, master, we've been fishing all night. We haven't even got a, we've caught nothing. But because you said so, we'll give it a try. So they pull their boats out, and you don't fish in the Sea of Galilee, apparently, in the daytime. You only fish at night uh, because the fish come in closer to shore. But now they're going out in deep water, which is like impossible. They let down their nets, and they catch such a huge number of fish that the nets begin to burst. They call for their partners to come, who come out as well. They fill that boat with fish and their partner's boat with fish, So many fish, the boat becomes swamped. It literally is starting to sink because of the great number of fish that they have captured. Now we're going to jump into the text. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, 
don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything, and followed him. (laughs) Jesus is recruiting the team. He's recruiting the dream team. And it's incredible, this simple fisherman starts this journey, and God is, he's saying, you know, I'm, his life is kind of set. Now, I want you to understand something. When you and I pick teams, have you ever played sports before? Anybody here professionally play sports? Anybody recreationally play sports? Most of us can put up our hand at some degree. Um, do you remember when you were a kid and you were picking teams to play your recreational sports? And uh, when I was a kid, we always picked, and you always picked the best two players had to be the team captains because they could never be on the same team. So for me, that was, that was uh, Danny and uh, Ben. So Danny and Ben would have to be on opposite teams, and then they would start their picking. Now, I loved playing sports, but I wasn't like sporty spice surprise. Um, but but I, I would always get picked in the middle. You know, that was okay with me, to be picked in the middle. Because the worst thing in, when you were playing those sports as a kid was the guy who got picked last. The guy whom nobody wanted on their team. So I want you to keep that in your mind, that idea of when you're picking your dream team, who do you pick? You pick the best. Jesus goes the exact opposite way, and he starts with this fisherman guy, which is interesting. When he catches all these fish, the landlocked carpenter apparently was right, let down your nets. And he says these words to Jesus, which is interesting. He doesn't say to him, go away from me, Lord, for I am a fisherman. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, understand something about Peter. Because he's Jewish, and this is just, church is kind of not an option when you're, because it's part of the communal life of being Jewish. So he likely went to synagogue every week. He likely taught his children about God. Do you understand? He was just, he was a steady, kind of faithful person. But he didn't see himself the way Jesus saw him. He defined himself as being sinful and as falling short. You see, he felt unqualified because of his sin and his failures. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like if they only really knew everything that's going on in my life, would they even let me into this church sometimes? I mean, this guy's trying his best to live a holy life, but yet he's struggling with his identity of who he is. And God is speaking to him and says, Peter, it's okay. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. And God wants us to understand in picking this first candidate, he picks this unlikely person who does not feel like they qualify in any way. I think that all of us could raise our hands at some point and say, I feel like I miss the mark. I feel like I fall short. Why would God be so gracious to me? Do you ever have that conversation with yourself? Why would God be so good to me and to my family? 
when I fall like, I feel like I fall short all the time. And yet Jesus picks this sinful fisherman who felt disqualified to join his team. Well, here's the second candidate that's going to join the dream team, the unclean leper. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, guys, understand something. Lepers in that day were outcasts from the community, okay? They actually, when they came walking near other people, they actually had to say unclean, unclean, unclean. And people would make way for them and depart. And often people would throw rocks at them to get them away. This was their lot in life. And so they didn't want to touch the leper. Are you following me? They didn't want to catch what he had because to get leprosy was a death sentence in more ways than one. You were an outcast from your community. I'm going to preach on this in two weeks, but not this story, but another one. Here's the deference in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when something pure touched something unclean, that which was pure became unclean. In the New Testament, when something pure touches something unclean, that which is unclean becomes pure. Come on. (laughs) I mean, literally, literally Jesus violates the law and he touches a leper. (laughs) Now, this is not the law of God. This was what they called the segye or the fence laws that the Jewish people built. They were so not wanting to break the law, they developed over 600 extra laws as to how to keep from breaking the law. Jesus broke a lot of those segye laws, (laughs) which should tell you something anyway. So just imagine defining yourself by your outward condition. Now, most of us have, like Peter, have inward sins, inward thoughts, inward things that you don't really know when you look at me. But imagine if you had to define yourself by your outward condition as you're walking around. Overweight, 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 over 40, over 40. Over, do you remember when you were 16, you thought like 30 was ancient? <laughs> they still think that way, by the way, of most of us. So just so you know. But imagine defining yourself. Or, you know, like in our time, like, you know, COVID, COVID, COVID. Anyway, you know the joke. You used to cough to cover if you passed gas when you're in the Walmart. Now you pass gas to cover the fact that you're coughing. (laughs) That's that's what we do now. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> How do you know the religious world has some of these tags as well? You ever define yourself by your outward condition or feel people do? This is true. It happens in our world. I've told you this story in the past, but it's probably my most powerful story when it comes to feeling like this. When I was first a new Christian, I got into a relationship, and the relationship did not go well, and we broke up, and I, was, I got so discouraged and depressed because I thought I had blown the will of God for my life, and it was terrible. And where do you go when you've blown God's will? This is what I thought. Well, I, and I didn't, you're right, amen. So I'm kind of getting depressed. I had just quit my job. I was going to Bible college to enter into ministry, and uh, I started gaining weight. And I said, I, man, I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling depressed. I was in a doctor's office, and I read this article, you may be depressed if. And I'm like, check, 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 check. And so I go to see my pastor feeling like I need to talk to somebody because I'm getting so discouraged. <laughs> and he's, and this, is no, this is crazy. Now, this is a godly great guy, and I love him. He's in heaven now, and I love you and forgive you. But he says these words. He says, Greg, I've been meaning to talk to you. He says, I'm glad you're here. I've noticed you've gained some weight lately. And he says, I need you to understand that people are not going to respect you in ministry if you're overweight. I haven't even spoken yet. Okay? He doesn't even know why I'm there. Then his phone rings. It's his secretary phones in and says, I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He hangs up the phone. He says, Greg, I have to go to the hospital right now. Somebody from the church is in the last stages of life, and I have to go to be with the family. We'll reschedule this meeting. Okay. He left. Do you think I rescheduled that meeting? Do you know what I heard? Unclean. 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 And so here's the story of this man who cannot be even part of the community of God. And yet God touches and reaches out and asks he who is disqualified now to join his team. Isn't that good? Wow. So Jesus carries on, carries on in building his dream team. It's not the dream team we would pick. He picks the last people. He picks the people that no one else would choose to join the team. Amen? So we got a fisherman, a leper, and now we have a paraplegic. Bad bar joke is developing here. You understand what I'm saying? A paraplegic now. So here's the story of the paraplegic. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, our friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? 
Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Immediately stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went on praising God. Hallelujah. So you're paralyzed. And you can't move except for the help and the mercy of friends. You're lying on a mat. And all you have to do all day long, listen to me, all you do all day long is think about how you got in this condition. And I'm going to tell you, if you're in in that state in Israel at that time, this is the common belief. Bad things happen to bad people. It's the undercurrent that swims around you all the time. And so if you're in the state of paralysis and you're thinking about, why did I get this way? Why did I do to deserve this, Lord? What are you doing? You're repenting of every sin that you've ever committed. Because <laughs> that's what you're thinking about. You see, the paralyzed man, Jesus wanted to heal him, but he actually needed to remove a barrier first. And the barrier was in the man's mind and heart. And the barrier was this. I did something wrong that caused me to be this way. That's why when Jesus looked at him, he said, Take heart, friend. Your sins are forgiven. The thing that, is thinking, that you're thinking is keeping you from receiving from God is out of the way. And once he does the, that thing, which you understand, guys, he's redefining his identity. Because his identity has been, we don't know for how long, that paralyzed guy. The paralyzed guy. Yeah, I don't know what he did to get that way, but man, he used to be a vibrant, healthy guy, and then he's paralyzed now, and I don't know what he did. And Jesus in that moment redefines him, not as the paralyzed guy but as a son, as a friend of God. Amen? As a child of God. That thing that has paralyzed you is removed. Church, how many of you know there are different types of paralysis? Amen? You can be paralyzed by worry. Been lots of people paralyzed by worry in our season we've been through. You can be paralyzed by pride. I'm not raising my hands to worship God. It's taking the church and staking the way I am. Amen. It's happy I'm here. That's what they should be. <laughs> oh, get over yourself. Have fun. God does. You can be paralyzed by sin. You can be paralyzed by addictions. You can be paralyzed by anger. You can be paralyzed by fear. But Jesus speaks a word over you. And he says, you who are paralyzed are forgiven. You are free. Now stand up and walk. And by the way, it's interesting. He tells them to take up that thing that used to hold them and carry it away. It's gone. Let go of that thing. This is the thing that you and I need to understand. Jesus is building the dream team. 
Here we are, the fisherman, the leper, and the paralyzed guy. You see, where do you feel unworthy in your life? What's paralyzing you right now? Jesus is saying, give it to me. Give it to me. You're my friend. You're my son. You're my daughter. Come home to the Father and join my team. Amen? Amen. Powerful. Well, he's got these three guys that he's, are on the team now, and he picks a fourth. I love this guy. He's my favorite. The deplorable tax collector. <laughs> Dang, Jesus. The dream team. Here we go. After this, right after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and other sinners were eating with them. It doesn't say sinners, but the Pharisees figured they were. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law belonged uh, to a sect, uh, complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There we go. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You're like, what's so bad about a tax collector? Well, to the Jewish people, they worked for the Romans, and they were the bane of society. Literally, in the Jewish laws, the, the Mishnah, the Baba Kama 10.1, this is what it says. According to the rabbinism, their, uh, rabbinism, there's no hope for tax collectors. They were excluded from all religious fellowship, including the temple and the synagogue. Their money was considered tainted, and it defied anyone who had accepted it, defiled anyone who accepted it. They could not serve as a witness in the court of Israel. You could not even take money from a tax collector to do work for him. They were not allowed to go to church. <laughs> they were not allowed to be part of the life of the community of the faithful. This is who Jesus calls next to the dream team. Someone who was utterly and totally excluded from the community. I love the Amplified Bible. This is how it puts it, and it's interesting because it gives a better picture of the, the Greek word that Jesus looks, or says here. And after this, Jesus went out and looked attentively at a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax office, and he said to him, join me as a disciple and side with my party and accompany me. Now, this is, this, let me give you a picture of what this is. This is Jesus staring at this guy. And, it's, and he's got this little nod, and the, and the tax collector's like, there's something on my lip, is there something on my nose, is something going wrong here? And you know, you, you did, what? What's the problem here? And he's still, he's just looking intently at him. Yeah, I got plans for you, buddy. And he says, join me. Do you understand that rabbis in that day, you didn't choose to go to school under a rabbi. The rabbi chose you. I see in you something that I want to 
develop. Come and be my follower, be my disciple. Do you understand that this guy, there's no possible way he could be called by a rabbi, a holy man, to join him? He wasn't even allowed to go to church. And yet Jesus calls this sinful person to join him, this tax collector. Well, what is he calling his team to do? He's calling them to a new priesthood of believers. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchase for his special people, that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues of perfection of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Guys, he's calling a new priesthood of people to serve as priests in the kingdom of God. Now, why is that important and why is this text so powerful? In the Old Testament, there were multiple things that would exclude people from becoming priests. Here's some of them. The wrong birthright. So if you're not born a Levite, you cannot be a priest. Well, Peter was not a Levite, so he couldn't be a priest. Disease would disqualify you from the priesthood. So the leper could not be a priest in the Old Testament. Deformity would disqualify you from the priesthood. So the paralyzed, withered man could not be a priest. Are you following me? This is who Jesus is picking. (laughs) Fourthly, a tax collector could not be a priest in the Old Testament. Literally, they built a law saying, exclude this guy from the community of the kingdom. How many of you know this is good news for you and me? Anybody figure that out? But the most interesting guy is the last guy. Did you catch his name? Levi. He's a Levite. (laughs) He's the only one of the four that actually could be an Old Testament priest. But because of his choice of profession, he was excluded. So the Levite is pretty cool. He calls him to follow him in the new covenant priesthood of believers. That's amazing. You don't know him as Levi. You know him as Matthew. He is one of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ and the writer of the first book of the New Testament. A new covenant priest writes the first book of the new covenant that even me, a tax collector, and a sinner can follow and serve God. Isn't that awesome? Amen? So the band's going to come back now. What qualifies people to join the dream team? Because <laughs> there's, there's something that qualifies you. And you're like, oh, here it is. Great. They all repented and believed. See, listen to me. Peter fell at his feet in repentance. 
go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. The leper fell at his feet. Oh, God, you can make me clean. God, set me free from this. The paralyzed was lowered to his feet, the feet of Jesus. Are you following me? And Jesus spoke to him in that moment and said, Brother, your sins are forgiven. You're okay. You can get up. The tax collector left everything to follow Jesus. He repented and he believed. You know, church, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they thought they qualified in, their, in themselves and their own self-righteous efforts, and they remained unqualified to become New Testament priests because they did not come to a place of brokenness and letting go of their life and repenting. There's a story about a guy, a gangster named Nicky Cohen. And Nicky Cohen, uh, Billy Graham tried to lead to the Lord. He's an actual gangster. And he, everyone was excited because Billy Graham converted Nicky Cohen to become a follower of Jesus. But became apparent the first few weeks after this conversion, apparently, Nicky was not changing his life. He was still a gangster. He was still doing all the things he used to do. And so people said, you can't keep doing what you were doing. He's like, well, I'm not changing my life to follow God. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Do you understand? He disqualified himself in that moment because he didn't give it all over to the Lord and say, God, I can trust you with this. And so that's the question for you and I. Repentance and faith qualify people to join the dream team. This is what God wants to do. Churches were walking through the gospel of Luke. (laughs) Christ has now been affirmed by the Father, went through temptation, starts to demonstrate the kingdom of God, and then he calls a dream team to him. He's calling you, and he's calling me. Amen? He's calling us to demonstrate the love, the mercy, the grace, the goodness of God to a world that is broken and hopeless and dark. Amen? Isaiah 61 goes on to say these words, they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be named the ministers of God. You little seeds, you start as little seeds and God grows you to become the oaks of righteousness. To restore the places that are broken and devastated. To give hope to people. You who were unclean. You who were broken. You who were sinful. You who were separated from the life of God have been called to the dream team of the Lord. And he's saying, go forth. Go forth.
and share the good news of his kingdom. Amen?